Welcome to Unfurling, a podcast that explores the power of the natural world to inform and inspire. I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Katrina. And it's great to be back for the second episode of season two of Unfurling. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, isn't it, Kat? It's really great. I can see spring outside mm-hmm. beginning to do its thing. Yeah, no, it feels it it feels quite different from a few weeks ago when we were looking at waiting and patience and mm. spring had not sprung, but definitely here in London, um, flowers are coming out, buds are blooming, mm. the sun mm. is shining, it feels exciting. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we went on a walk the other day and I just sat at the edge of a field for a little while with the sun on my face and it just felt like a, this alien feeling I hadn't felt <laughs> for months and months and months, yeah. so that was really good, really good. So this episode, um, we are going to be looking at climate change. Mm-hmm. That's something we have looked at before. In season one, we um, there was an episode that we did that was about climate change. We're coming at it again because, well, it's a huge topic. And, um, you know, I'm sure we could, we could record multiple episodes on climate change and we'd only be scratching the surface. Um, but it was kind of coming up for a few reasons, really. And I'll just share what a couple of those were for me and then we'll kind of see where we go and Mm. and think about how we want to structure the episode sure 2021 for the climate agenda feels like a big year in the uk we've got the g7 summit in june which is being hosted in cornwall which is my neighboring county um Mm. so that's exciting i might go and see if i can hang out with joe biden perhaps (laughs) Uh, sure he'll be pretty busy also we've got the COP26 in November, which I guess is the biggest event. So this is the Conference of Parties, the 26th uh, UN Climate Change Conference, really. Um, and that will be in Glasgow. And, and COP26 is really an event bringing together all the different nations and groups working on climate change. So looking at how do we how do we accelerate climate action towards the goals of the Paris Agreement, mm. um, which was the kind of 2015 agreement for where do we want to be as a world? What, what targets and goals are we setting to, to limit warming to below 1.5 degrees? So that's, I guess, the biggest event this year. And there's already sort of a lot of chat around um, what that looks like, you know, positive and negative. In the in the news yesterday, I was just reading an article about the lack of vision that the UK is sharing in, on COP26 and um, that we need some really clear goals for that conference for mm. it to be meaningful. You know, and there's lots of campaign groups sort of ramping up and thinking, how do we use this as an opportunity to highlight some of the good stuff going on, highlight where the challenges are? So it feels like a really big year. There's also a few reports that have been launched recently that have been on my mind, which we'll reference in the show notes. So then as well as that global piece, there's also um, some personal stuff that's been coming up for me, um, which we'll go into, but it it sort of touches on my role locally as a locally elected councillor and the work I've been doing on the climate agenda um, Mm. for my district. Mm. Yeah, and well, um, I look forward to hearing more about that actually in more detail um, as part of this episode. Um, so yeah, it, absolutely. It feels very much, you know, on the agenda. Both Elizabeth and I attended um, a twenty-four hour event. Um, we didn't attend all twenty-four hours. <laughs> no, I certainly didn't. I was definitely sleeping for some of those. Yes, yes, that's true. <laughs> anyway, there was a, a twenty-four hour event um, hosted by uh, Climate Coaches Alliance which was set up in late 2019 um, to enable individual practitioners and the profession of coaching 
to develop strategies and practices that provide clients with the right space to step into their leadership role in the face of the client, climate emergency. Um, and they were hosting an event with, I think it was over 100 sessions, on the theme of what's mine to do, generating our pathways to climate and ecological action. Yeah, so I guess it's just been on my mind in the last week as well um, with that lens. So knowing that this is a topic, you know, we could have gone... And, and thought about going so many different ways with this. There's, you know, there are podcasts out there that deal specifically with climate change. We're trying to be thoughtful about what we do with our, our time today. And what we got to was to think about how do we look at climate change um, from a strengths-based approach? By that, well, let me tell you what I don't mean <laughs> by that. <laughs> Give me one second when I just get my uh, what's in a word definition up so we're now going back to what's in a word our new theme for season two instead of dictionary corner um and when I typed in strength what came up was um, that it came from old English meaning bodily power force vigor firmness fortitude manhood violence moral resistance so big words there. some big words yeah um very you know physically forceful yeah. quite a masculine vibe mm. um which makes sense in a way from when it was where it derived from but I guess what I'm meaning when I think of strengths now is, is very simply actually and perhaps my coaching hat on slightly is is you know what do we do well and so it's like, how are we well? I know it doesn't make sense grammatically, but you know, how, what's our way of being that mm. is a healthy way of being? So I'm keeping it quite simple in my mind about strengths. What do you think of Elizabeth? Um, I guess two things come up. One is, I mean, we're both involved in coaching and I think of the kind of the definition mm. about kind of people being naturally um, whole and, and mm. um, resourceful. And there's something about like, what does wholeness mean? What does resourcefulness mean? How are we drawing on the resources we have? Maybe with help, um, we might need to look for how to, you know, take hold of those resources. Mm. But how are we drawing on the the things that, a part of who we are individually mm. collectively and then also I think about some of the work that I'm involved in um in international development that I have been involved in over the years so I help develop a charity we work um with communities around the world and we use a strengths-based approach in how we tackle some of the challenges that communities are facing whether that's poor maternal health or um you know poor nutrition or whatever it might be rather than starting from a position of what's wrong with this place and what needs fixing we start from we start from the kind of um framing of what's going really well here mm. um, where are the strengths here where where are the assets one way of one kind of um popular framing is asset-based community development so what assets are here mm. that we can look at, understand, harness and amplify. There's a, a friend um, called Cormac Russell and he talks about starting with what's strong, not what's wrong. And I really mm. like that. Yeah. Um, so for me, the strengths-based thing is it's exactly that. It's saying, what what do we have here that we can use mm. in this journey that we're on, even though it might be hard? Let's start from there and then kind of build out. So that's what I think of when I think of that strengths-based mm. um, approach that we'll be looking at today. Yeah. And what I love about that is you're bringing in both the individual 
And also the, the collective, you know, what do we have? So it's the I and the we. Mm. Um, I think that links actually nicely to how we're approaching today mm. as well. So, yeah, and I guess we're also drawing on the natural world here as well, thinking about evolution. It's not so about individual competitive advantage that we're looking at, you know, in terms of using our strengths around climate change and climate action. It's more about thinking how do we use those strengths that we inherently have and that we can find beyond ourselves for the for the sake of the planet um, mm. and all those in, in it, including wildlife. So I guess as we think about how we're approaching today, we've talked in, in episode one of this season about being explorers. And in mm. each episode, we're going on a journey and we are going to stop off with guides. So these are guests that are in the various worlds that we're looking at, you know, in, in the particular topic, learning from them, and then reflecting on what we've learned and what we might be doing going forward, what you might want to consider going forward. We were talking about this before we came on, and I was saying today I feel like it, rather than like a hike you know, along a, a nice valley and mountains and things like that, I kind of imagine us with um, parachutes on our back or parapets, you know, and then mm. we're almost, uh, we've got winds taking us to different locations because we, we're going to move beyond the UK today as well. Mm. Um, almost like dropping in with our various guests, mm. um, learning and then taking off again. So you might want to keep that in mind as we go. I love the idea of parachuting in, although I'm, I'm kind of a bit scared of there's something really <laughs> scary about parachuting. I'm not actually sure I'd be up for it. I know that I think you're potentially thinking. I, well, yes, no, I am. I, I, I am. I'm turning 40 this month. Ooh, Ooh, I know. Yeah. It's very exciting. exciting. Yeah, yeah. Um, although it will be a lockdown 40th. So <laughs> I, my husband and I will be on our own. <laughs> you have to make up for celebrations. We will. We will. Yeah. Um, but Yes, my brother is getting me a parachute um, experience. I think there'll be a bit of free fall involved and wow. yeah, something I've wanted to do for a long time. And uh, if not now, when? So uh, Amazing. You're very brave. Thank you. Um, as you were talking about parachuting, actually, I was thinking of recent walks that I've been on and just stopping and pausing and noticing kestrels and buzzards mm. and these birds of prey just catching the kind of air thermals and currents and soaring really effortlessly and looking at the whole landscape almost and then um, the kestrels particularly then kind of diving down and catching whatever it is they've seen so that image of the parachute there's also something about the bird's eye picture and then and then and then honing in and going for it when we want to sort of pick up on a particular story or um and in ter- kind of with that metaphor, actually, the landscape that we'll be exploring and playing around in this episode, there are um, a few things that we know we're going to, to drill down into or dive down into if we were kestrels. Mm. Um, so one is about communities, um, then government as well mm-hmm. as another um, context, and then business, finally. So communities, government, business, what can we learn from those systems? Um, and then we'll pick that up at the end and kind of draw together threads. Um, but that's kind of, we know that that's in the map that we're exploring this episode. Mm. So with, um, I think we've framed the episode quite clearly now. And so I'd love to to get our, our parachutes on or our wings spread out. <laughs> I'm going to go with wings, I think. You're going to go with wings. I'm going to yeah. get my parachute, get, get nice. in the mindset for that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and let's take off. 
where we're going to land is actually pretty close to home because I'd love to to learn more from you, actually, Elizabeth, um, in terms of your your work thus far in terms of climate change. And Hmm. um, you mentioned earlier about how one of your many roles has been working with your local council and particularly on the cabinet, you know, with your portfolio, looking at climate change in particular. Even though our listeners probably have a good sense of who you are already, it'd be great just to introduce us to, to what you do and also just how you got into local government work so that we kind of get a bit more understanding of what it's actually like on the ground being in government particularly with that climate change lens. Thanks so it's fun for the tables to turn and to be yeah. something. <laughs> <laughs> um, well the, I'm going to pick up on one of your points which was how I got into this and mm. frankly I got into this by accident so um, I was asked to stand for my local elections. Um, this is in 2019. I was asked if I wanted to stand to be a district councillor. There's no chance you'll be voted in, they said. Very unlikely, very unlikely. But we need paper candidates um, just to show an alternative, you know, provide an alternative vote. I said, you're sure, fine. No problems. Put me down or whatever. I don't mind. Um, and then results day came um, and I was doing some work um, at home I think I was sitting at home with a cup of tea on my laptop and I thought I'll just keep an eye on how the results are going that'll be interesting and um sort of was you know um refreshing the page as the results came in and then I saw this um I saw the map change color and it went to striped blue and green so I'm a green party councillor um and I thought, brilliant, there's a green councillor that's got in alongside a conservative <laughs> who have held that ward for a long time. Brilliant. And then I and then it sort of slowly dawned on me that the map I was looking at was the map that I had stood in. Yeah. And as soon as I realized I had a mouthful of tea, I spat <laughs> over my computer, swore very loudly, <laughs> and then phoned whoever would pick up their phone to say yeah. I've just been elected I've just been elected <laughs> and everyone just laughed and said what are you serious they said there was no chance anyway um so it was very it was very unexpected mm. and I then at that point had two options it was either pull out and say this was this was a mistake I should have done this mm. and then I sat with it and thought no like people have voted for me for a reason mm. and I'm a generalist, you know, I, I know quite a bit about quite a bit, but I don't feel like an expert in any one thing. Mm. Um, and I thought maybe, maybe actually that skill set could be quite good in local mm. politics. And it has been. I'm still here today, almost two years on. So I, be, I was elected as a councillor, district council. In the UK, there are various tiers of government below national government. Mm. There's the sort of county councils and there are district councils and then there's sort of very local um town and, and parish councils mm. um yeah so I, I became a councillor in January of 2020 so a year and a bit ago I was then asked to join the cabinet of the council so this is like the executive of um the kind of handful of councillors who are more involved in decision making and and who ultimately get a kind of final say on things mm-hmm. um some people myself probably included see it's quite an undemocratic form of governance because you have this cabinet that gets to if it wants to override full council decisions that's another conversation but I was asked to join the cabinet and take on a newly created portfolio looking after climate change mm. in the council 
And I thought, well, I've come this far. I've jumped into being a counsellor. Why not? Let's just jump in and take on this role that hasn't existed until now and I'll shape it. And um, so that's what I did. So there was there was no council staff for mm-hmm. the climate portfolio. There was no budget attached to it. Mm-hmm. There was no plan. There was nothing. There was only um, a full council declaration of um, a kind of vote that we signed up to the climate emergency. So the council recognised there was a climate emergency. We wanted to do something about it. That was all I had to go on. Mm-hmm. Um Frankly, that's where I thrive. I really love chaos. I love when there's no plan and I love creating a plan. I like it when there is no routine, there's no structure. It's almost a blank canvas or, you know, thinking of unfurling, there's like a map and you get to choose where you want to go and how you're going to get there. So I love that stuff. So yeah, over the course of, you know, months and then obviously COVID came along. So that, that added a challenge. Um, certainly in terms of budget, you know, a lot of councils and, and local mm. government in the UK over years have been, you know, the budgets have been reduced and reduced and reduced. So that has been a challenge. Mm. Um, but curious, yeah. Just curious, just going back a little bit, when you you had this kind of essentially like a blank, you know, slate mm. to start from. Um, <laughs> and as you say, you know, you're not an expert, you know, you're not an expert scientist, you know, you've got a bit mm. of a science background through your degree. Mm. But you, you have a number of different roles which you might want to, to share with us um, in your in your professional life. Um, but I'm kind of curious about how how you started, you know, from that blank slate. Like, where did you go and how did you know where to go? Because, um, you know, I, I'd have been quite intimidated by that blank slate, quite frankly. Mm, I was, but I was also really excited by it. So um, my background and and what I'm involved in now when I'm not involved in local politics so my background really is in international development um Mm. so I have a master's in international development um I've kind of lived and worked around the world predominantly in sub-Saharan Africa I lived in Zambia for some time working for a um, charity I've traveled extensively across Africa um I've developed an organization called Aruka Network which is all about kind of community-led change and development so I had this approach going back to what we're talking about earlier of strengths-based way of working Mm. so how do we harness what's already good here the commitments already here the passion the resources that are already here so I had that as a starting point Mm. so I knew I wasn't starting from scratch you know there are lots of local groups and experts and and academics and all sorts of businesses doing this stuff so it's simply a case of me going and speaking to them and saying what do I need to know um how can we get you involved in this how do we harness that work that you're doing Mm. so so that was really helpful um I'm also a coach um so um I trained a few years ago with the Mo Foundation Mm -hmm. and I'm actually about to do some more coach training which I'm really excited about to kind of really deepen my work as a coach because I'm excited about um stepping into that more um and I love it's a similar thing, you know, whether you whether I'm working with a community in Zambia or an individual young leader in the UK or whoever it might be, it's 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 asking the right questions, it's mm. it's reflecting stuff back, it's it's listening deeply and then acting what you've heard. It's helping people to see the strengths inside them. Um and to, you know, to, to challenge where necessary as well. So I guess coming with that background and strengths-based 
development work and working with a huge spectrum of people mm. across the, the world I think that put me in good stead the coach mindset so asking questions listening um and um sort of walking alongside people and, and groups in that way that has been a really helpful mindset to bring into this um I'm also a writer so um and again, this is something I want to to be doing more in the coming years. Um, I write a bit now for magazines like Geographical Magazine, Dartmoor Magazine on a more local level. Um, I am a contributing editor at The Ecologist, so I sort of bring in people to, to write and um, occasionally do pieces myself. Um, so again, that kind of bringing that thoughtful, asking questions, um, uh, telling stories through some of that writing so all of that was also really helpful so how do I do this stuff locally mm. um so I think those though those um bits of my background and current work aren't immediately obviously connected to local government the ways of being and working in them are and so that's what I sat back and thought how do I use this stuff and bring it across mm. to this world um and that's been it's been really helpful for me um I think it's it's really shown me where some of the status quo exists in local and probably national government so it can be really hard to change things everything goes so slowly um you know the budgets are not good um so these are challenges you know in that in that journey how do I how do I kind of use who I am which isn't someone who's confrontational it's not someone who's aggressive I don't feel like I fit the mold of a kind of classic politician in that mm-hmm. sense um not stereotyping but I guess kind of is a stereotype um yeah. I, that's not me I'm someone who wants to build bridges like you do and like we are doing with unfurling it's how do you bring together the people that think differently or bring together ideas so I'm trying to use who I am and my uniqueness to create a piece of work that's what I have been doing anyway beautiful examples of of this kind of strength-based approach right that we've Mm. been talking about earlier both in terms of um, your professional experiences and knowledge but also how you are and how you want to be in what could be an environment that hasn't had much change Um, Mm. and I'm kind of curious about when you kind of thinking specifically about climate change here um, what change were you, and I'm sure there were people that, you know, helped you do this, um, able to enact within your time in the cabinet? Um, and what do you think, yeah, facilitated that change? So a lot of people were pushing me quite quickly to just get on and do things and make things happen and and, and t- start ticking off actions. And that's very tempting because then you get to say, look at all these actions I've ticked off. Mm. But I, my intuition and my hunch and everything I was hearing and my own background told me, no, just take a bit of time to mm-hmm. hear what's already going on mm-hmm. and almost create the map in which we can then start to plot our course and then start to tick off actions. Because mm-hmm. it's very easy to just quickly act on things, to be seen, to be doing something. Mm-hmm. But if you're going in the wrong direction, you, that's wasted time. It's wasted money. So I took a bit of time just to understand the lay of the land and speak to people who are far more clued up in local government ways of working and some mm-hmm. of the practical pieces. 
and like I say, also speaking to people locally. So it was, I guess that initial piece was a, a time of assimilation and synthesis mm. and then using that as a springboard. Mm. Um, so then that, that period, coming back to your question, that period of synthesis then led me to um, then suggest what an action plan might look like um, in consultation, but kind of create the shape of that. So what can we do internally as a council who's responsible for various services? And what can we then enable the wider district to do? That's the kind of two ways that it boiled down. And then that sort of translated to very specific things like helping to secure um, hundreds of thousands of pounds to decarbonise our leisure centres and setting up climate conversations for the district. So helping all sorts of people come together online because of COVID, but eventually that will be in person, to talk about different issues. We've talked about tree planting and transport and communication and all sorts of things. Um, And people have seemed to really appreciate those conversations it's translated to actually getting a dedicated person as a member of the staff on the council to lead on this work, which that was a real battle, but, but I've managed to get someone and he's great. And he can really lead some of this work forward on a real operational level. Um, You know, set up partnerships with electric vehicle charging point companies. Um, It's all these practical pieces now that are kind of slotting into that, landscape that I spent time understanding Mm. um and some of the things I wouldn't have come up with myself but it was through listening to people you know supporting community groups to do work around biodiversity supporting people that want to get wind turbines put in like connecting them into planning policy and very dry stuff to to look at how that might happen so yeah I think I tend to in whatever I do, I tend not to jump in straight away. I tend to sort of spend a bit of time listening. And then once, I, once I'm once i sort of sure of my fitting, then I jump in and I go for it. Mm. Um, the same when I'm out um, walking. So I was telling you earlier, I'm training at the minute to become a qualified hill and moorland leader. So I'll be mm. able to take groups yeah. out or individuals out onto moorland. So Dartmoor, Exmoor, closest to me, but equally elsewhere and lead across a really barren landscapes and there's something about even there I, I notice my tendency just to pause and like double check my bearings and my map readings and double check what the map is saying equates to what the landscape is saying rather than just going for it and I guess it's a similar tendency like wanting to make sure energy that we put in is going in the right direction mm. And then sort of stepping forward confidently. Mm. And I think that I see that approach in various things I do. So so what I'm hearing, it's that taking that time, you know, and really listening and asking, you know, useful questions of people and having those conversations and assimilating and synthesizing that then enables you to have that space and understanding to create your map, your plan, and from there take mm. bold action. And I, yeah, I've definitely seen, I remember seeing a photo of you with a hard hat you know, <laughs> linked to a wind turbine and you've definitely mm. been in, in action. Um, and so in a way, you know, as we, we stop with you as a guide, there's, there's part mm. of me that, that sees or, you know, hears your strengths in action, you know, mm. and, and what has come from that. So, you know, really great example in and of itself. There's a part of me and perhaps a naughty part um, of me that's curious about, um, a comment you made earlier, I might be paraphrasing slightly, about um, being in a space that that hasn't changed necessarily mm. and how you've 
dealt with or not dealt with as well how it's been in that space for you yeah it's a good question so I'll I'll start the answer by saying just over a week ago, I was removed from my position as portfolio holder for climate change. And not only that, but the whole portfolio was stopped and merged with another portfolio. And the reason for that was, again, kind of won't go into background, but um, I I essentially, I didn't vote in the way that the leader wanted me me, um, to vote on something. he removed me because of it. You know, there's a whole conversation there around the democracy of that. Um, yeah, I'm still a councillor, but I've been mm. removed from that portfolio and it's been stopped. Wonderfully, I've had loads of, so many people email and call saying, this is so wrong. You're doing such great work. We're going to write to the, you know, the, the people involved and express our concerns. So there's been something, frankly, exhausting about it. Like all this work I was doing, I was just stopped mm-hmm. um, for political reasons and mm-hmm. for other agendas, which is nothing to do with climate change, which frankly doesn't matter what party you come from. You know, climate change is going to impact us all. Yeah. It is impacting us all. Um, yeah. So there's, I'm exhausted. I feel really tired in the last week because I guess that mm, journey I've been on, it, it, I've been sort of holding it and it's suddenly starting to release a bit from me, I think. And I feel really frustrated that all that work, you know, like I say, there is this new staff member now. So I hope in reality, a lot of it will continue and behind the scenes, I will continue to support it. But it's been challenging. I think there's been something about kind of resilience and and persisting, even though people might have their own agendas which either clash with me as an individual or clash clash with climate change as a wider agenda so almost something about learning to pick my battles you know some of the stuff is just it's frankly it's petty and it doesn't really matter so almost sort of putting that to one side but then where when it sort of challenges around you know whether that's people denying that climate change is even a thing whether that's people saying Mm -hmm. how can you be backing um, a hydroelectric turbine in the river which is going to generate clean energy yes but it's going to harm the ecosystem of the river it's been really challenging Mm because I don't know the answer to this stuff I'm not an expert in renewable energy and hydroelectric turbines but wonderfully I know people who are so for me I guess it's been about uh, knowing that it's okay and healthy and right and essential actually that we go and ask for help on things whether it's you know Mm. specific actions that some people might not agree with or whether that whether it's broader principles and so on it's it's I mean this is obvious but I've had to keep reminding myself that it's not all on me just because I've had this portfolio doesn't mean I'm the only one at the council that cares about climate change so yeah I guess something about making sure you have the right people around you and that you ask for help and then that's okay and that even when you're leading something or as a leader you don't need to know all the answers um and in fact Mm. admitting that you don't know the all the answers is probably a good a good leadership trait because it brings in the humility and it brings in the need for having the people around you to fill in your own gaps you know i think then it comes Mm. back to the kind of maybe it touches on what I was saying before, you know, you can tick off actions and get things done and get money for it and get, initiate projects. All that's great. But if you're not doing that on the foundation of good relationships 
and respect and mm. inclusion and making sure the right people are in this conversation mm. and listening it can all be in vain um and that's something I've really seen at the council like I've been in meetings where people have treated each other incredibly disrespectfully so again it comes back to almost doing your groundwork and having the right conversations and focusing as much on the soft stuff like relationship building and connection Mm. as much as the technical stuff and budgets and plans Mm. because you can't do one without the other and I think a lot of people Mm. particularly in the climate world it could you know and probably well understandably and rightly we need to be focusing on action and so on but I do come back again and again and I see this in international development too like unless you have that foundation of relationship and connection it makes the the technical stuff a lot harder um so I think investing in the relationship Mm -hmm. connection piece first makes all the other stuff much smoother not easy it's still challenging but you then have the groundwork to really embed and get people to buy in. And then it becomes a collective responsibility rather than someone dragging along a group mm. of people who aren't really that bothered about it. Yeah. Well, it's bringing in the idea that we, we touched on earlier about the different ways that mm. we can be acting in terms of climate change. So be it in the individual level through to, mm. to more collective. And it sounds like both, both are mm. needed in, in different ways. And, yeah, what I'm hearing from you is that asking for help, being vulnerable with that, and kind of really building on those relationships and that sense of connection so that it's not you just doing this on your own. Mm. Kind of perhaps as we come to the end of this, this drop-in with you, um, there's clearly something that's driving you beyond just your love of connecting people and bridging and all, all these pieces and listening. Um, and I'm kind of curious just... I often ask my my clients when they say something, it's like for the sake of what? So sorry to put you on the spot, but you know, what what do you think's driving you here? So my my immediate reaction is, well, because you know, climate change is just getting increasingly urgent and it's something we all need to be working on. And I found myself in this position and what a great opportunity to 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 do something about it. That feels true, but it doesn't feel like the deep truth. And the deep truth feels something around mm-hmm. the naughty bit of me likes challenging the status quo and being a little bit like, well, just because mm-hmm. we've always done it that way doesn't mean we have to keep doing that way, don't do we? And mm-hmm. I quite like that. I quite like doing that. And it's something around kn- knowing that there are multiple ways to approach difficult topics and knowing that Mm. we are more likely to succeed when we rely on the kaleidoscope of the collective and I think I like being in a position that lets me see what that actually means in practice it's it's yeah it's something about seeing what's possible and then just showing that there are other ways to think about things and there are other ways to act on things um and also challenging stereotypes like something i'm enjoying about being an elected councillor is you know we used the word earlier the stereotype of 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 politicians is sadly that you know whether it's they can't be trusted or they've got their own agendas or whatever it is you don't get so much of that at the local level but 
there's something also about kind of challenging the stereotypes. Um, and it was International Women's Day yesterday. And I really like the fact that I can say I'm a, you know, female politician in my late 30s doing this stuff. And it's really difficult. And I come up against barriers. And I don't know the answer to lots of things. But nonetheless the the reaction i've had in the last week from the news that i just shared and the the outpouring of support and people there are people that want to set up a petition to get me reinstated and, and saying we need people like you in politics that's been so um affirming and all the doubt i've had in myself which is huge you know imposter syndrome has reared its head so many times um when i stand up in a meeting to speak about something or you know, whatever it might be, being able to say, you know what, even despite the, even with the imposter syndrome, even with the doubt, even with the feeling very unqualified, even with the accident that got me here, I'm still doing it. And I'm still, um, I'm showing that it, that it's possible. And it's only one small piece of a small jigsaw on a local level, but nonetheless, it's important. You know, I believe in the kind of microcosm and the macrocosm and they reflect each other. If, if it's possible locally, then, you know, how much more is it possible? Even, for, I mean, with far more barriers and challenges, but let's imagine that in other contexts now. And I love that. I really love, yeah, I guess it goes hand in hand with challenging the status quo, but it's it's, it's, it's busting those stereotypes and saying, you know what, just because things have always been a certain way or just because we perceive certain challenges and barriers that might put us off ever getting involved with politics or whatever it might be, they don't have to be true. And, you know, going back to our, our explorer analogy, there's something about kind of hacking away the bush and creating new paths. That's what I like, creating new paths. Mm. Um, and for mm. me, this has been a wonderful accident. A one, yeah, a wonderfully sort of accidental way of, seeing what that looks like I hope that answers your question yeah no it does absolutely what I like about it is yeah your first your Mm -hmm. first answer you could argue is a bit dry right (laughs) it's like the the moral thing to do which is you know doesn't make it wrong um but actually it's it's making it's almost like I'm Mm -hmm. sensing fun here you know enjoyment like you know there's that you mentioned naughtiness curiosity Mm -hmm. what's possible there's kind of a sense of innovation as well as resilience, um, mm. creating new paths mm. and hacking, hacking through mm. the old, you know, to see, mm. to see what can emerge. And, you know, I, I, you know, as your co-creator mm. of Unfurling, but also as a friend have been mm. very proud of you actually in the last week, it's really um, made me reflect on a lot actually about speaking up, you know, and, and, uh, being one person within a system, taking, being brave, speaking up, quite frankly, then getting yeah. pushed down yeah. <laughs> again, you know, mm. what, what, what does that mean? You know, how do we find resilience in that so that, you know, and, and different ways perhaps of approaching things, where do we put our energies? But uh, yeah, I guess I just want to mm. publicly champion you here because um, you've, you've done something that, you mm. could have done as a tick box exercise. Mm. That would have been a nice thing for your CV, and ooh, and we could have talked mm. about politics mm. and you know unfurling. And you say, well, I do, I know this, but you've done it with a real sense of integrity, courage, um, yeah, and, and fun too. And let's see where it all goes. You know, let's see what emerges. But 
Um, I think this has been a really nice example. You know, I'm thinking of you as a guide of just dropping in, hearing what's worked, you know, with mm-hmm. that strengths-based approach, what what has been challenging. And I guess my final question, with your, your counsellor slash former cabinet hat on, with that climate change theme in, in mind, what would you what would you suggest for our listeners to go away with, to think about, you know, in their own worlds and systems? Mm. As that question sits in my mind, but but also as a partial answer to that question, as you were speaking about, you know, speaking up, but then sometimes getting pushed down, the image that popped to mind actually, and because it's springtime, it is daffodils, crocuses mm-hmm. and snowdrops. So these are the kind of early spring flowers, Right. And they pop up in the wild. You, you, we can plant them, but around here, certainly, there's loads out in the hedgerows and fields and so on. And they're doing their thing. And they come up every spring and then summer happens and autumn, so on. And they and they kind of die back into the ground. But that bulb is still under the surface. So even when they've been pushed back down because of the seasons, their innate daffodilness or snowdropness is still there in the ground just waiting to come up again when the signals are there and there's something about even when you get pushed down it doesn't stop the bulb of you the core of you the who you are Mm. still being there and and just waiting for the right whether it's a word of encouragement whether it's an opportunity something to then sprout again and I think that we can be pushed down you know if it if it's who you are um you can't help but let yourself bloom. And sometimes you need encouragement to do that and the right environment, but your bulb is in you and it wants to bloom. So I think that's been a real lesson, you know, um, find, just working out what is that bulb inside me? Who am I? Why does it bloom even when it's difficult? And it's because it, it can't not. It's because it's who I am and it's there under the soil, whether I want it to be or not. So I guess that image I would leave with people. Um, What else? I think a very practical thing is elected people locally and nationally, but it's easier locally. It's fairly easy to get in touch with them. And I know from my own experience that when passionate and knowledgeable and residents get in touch saying, um, you know, great what you're doing, or not so great what you're doing. I have this experience and expertise. You want to use it? Like I welcome them with open arms, and I want to have the conversation. So there's something about using your voice, even if it's simply to open up someone else's voice. If it's an elected representative, some other kind of influencer, business owner, whatever, make the connection, create the relationship, and nurture that relationship, and your impact can be huge the ripple effect of of the of creating that relationship yeah just going back to the idea of blooming actually there's something about blooming where you're planted so if you accidentally find yourself in a position or or not accidentally maybe intentionally it's saying okay here I am what does the landscape look like around me what what how can I map my community how can I map my place either physically or metaphorically how do I map it and capture some of the strengths and the good stuff and focus on what's strong and not not what's wrong and then use what's strong to tackle what's wrong um but there's something about blooming where you're planted and just really getting the dirt of the local place under your nails again not necessarily physically but what is the place around you that 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 you can speak to and use yourself to to speak into i think those are some of the things in my mind at the moment 
Well, it kind of gives us three kind of things to take away. So that kind of image of the bulb, mm. you know, the who, who we are and will emerge again. You know, it might be in different ways. We don't know, but it, it will come back. And then the idea of, it felt like access, you know, that we we have a right and an access to our local politicians, to our national mm. politicians, and that we we can get involved. It reminds me of, you know, when I was a kid, I used to write all sorts of letters mm. off to my local MP mm. about cosmetic testing mm. and things like that. And and actually, it's only been recently, um, in the last couple of weeks, that I wrote to our, our local councillors mm. about a tree that was getting cut mm. down. And um, I haven't done that mm. for ages. And actually, it wasn't difficult. Yeah. I just had to Google, yeah. Google a couple of names, yeah. write my email, and I got a great email straight back. Mm. I was very impressed. Actually. Great. Yeah, so there's um, something empowering but, in that too, isn't there, I think? Yeah. Yeah. And and also a learning experience for me in mm. that I'd got, you know, I was talking about this tree, but also they were bringing in the local people, you know, who were living mm-hmm. there and the difficulties they were facing. So to see it as a thing where we can offer our expertise mm. or our opinions, but also can learn in response about what's going on. Um, yeah. and, and then the idea of bloom, you know, and, and blooming where we are, that place mm. um, feels feels really important. Mm. So Elizabeth, thank you. It's been been a bit different, hasn't mm, it? Um, it's been fun. On this end. Yeah, but I, I've certainly learned a lot um, hearing you speak. I know some of this from before, mm. but not all of it. Mm. And um, just really appreciate actually how down to earth you have been with all of this. You know, you've, you're a very modest person <laughs> sometimes. And, uh, but it's nice to hear you balance that actually with, with claiming some of those strengths about what has been helpful along Mm. the way um and I think there's a lot our listeners can take away and chew over um so thank you thank you thanks for the good questions and just as a final point actually if anyone's listening and is working in anything that connects to anything and what I've talked about whether it's local politics or you know climate leadership in other ways do reach out like I'm very happy to kind of Mm. speak into that through coaching and mentoring or you know just sharing some resources whatever um yeah that's something i'm kind of keen to do more of so thanks for the good questions oh my pleasure (laughs) right so elizabeth um after that enjoyable time together we're gonna move on now and yeah, I guess you might, might want to shake off uh, that oh. guide role. Yeah, you know. I'm doing some shaking. I'm mm-hmm. shaking. Yeah, <laughs> and and put your wings back on, or for me, my okay. little parachute back on. Yeah, and on. we are going to get another air vent and go off to Kenya and speak to two brilliant men um, that you introduced me to. Um, but Elizabeth, I'll let you introduce who they are and what we're going to be talking about. Yeah, so I'm excited to go to Kenya. I'm I'm itching to travel as many of us are mm-hmm. in, in real life at the minute. So it's it's great to kind of travel in the imagination and in the conversation. So yeah, we're we're going to Kenya. We're going to the the west sort of southwest side of the country and we're speaking to well a good friend of mine Robbins and then he introduced me to his friend Nicholas um and they have both been involved in a project in Kipteri. We're going to learn a little bit about 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 their work. So um, I've known Robbins for some time through my work with um, an organisation called Aruka Network, which I've mentioned before in this podcast. And he, Robbins, is is brilliant. He he 
community work is kind of what he does um and he's passionate about so many things and he he often talks about his mission is to put a smile on people's faces mm. and I love that and and often when I chat with him he's sitting under a tree and I can hear amazing <laughs> birds in the background and almost imagine the smells so that's always a real treat yeah we're going to learn about a water and reforestation project that they've been involved with on the edge of Lake Victoria mm. um, and this project has been running for a few years now um, and we're going to hear a little bit about um, their motivations about why this work is important and we felt this would be just perhaps an opportunity to to almost kind of go to I guess the kind of lived experience of climate change so Robbins and Nicholas they've been working with people who are experiencing changing patterns of the seasons who are experiencing drought who are experiencing farmers not being able to produce food now and they've been working with a community on solutions to that so yeah i'm looking forward to to hearing from them their line wasn't amazing we're going to do this one slightly differently so we'll be kind of coming in and out but yeah there's some really interesting things they mentioned yeah and i think um we're kind of coming at this from wanting to learn about strengths in a community mm. so so what have they drawn on and and helped to create um, in partnership with the community um to to tackle climate change in their mm. particular part of the world so we started off hearing from robbins um, and from nicholas about about the project so um this was a project that was all about improving the kind of environment around lake victoria um, so rivers that were flowing into the lake had been drying up. They wanted to protect water in a way that it would there would be a good supply of water for the future and for future generations. And they also focused on tree planting. So they set up a nursery. They supplied seedlings to the community um, and sort of partnered with local businesses. And we'll hear more about that in a second. So this is really about improving people's access to water, improving vegetation cover and therefore kind of improving the soil and the local climate. Mm. So thank you so much for this chance. Our project was leaned towards, I know you both know about uh, Lake Victoria. So uh, uh, over time, Lake Victoria has been drying up and uh, it re- there, there was this program by World Bank that uh, under the climate change, they wanted to do something to help uh, improve uh, Lake Victoria because it was uh, discovered that the sources, the rivers that are flowing into the lake were kind of uh, drying up. So uh, this one, uh, the funding was mainly to uh, plant uh, trees, protect water catchment areas, and uh, uh, increase water accessibility for people and for animals within that area. We we did a, a tree nursery, and uh, we planted uh, quite a lot of trees. We supplied seedlings to to the community and to uh, one of the tea factories that is uh, closely, not very far from Kiptere, where our location of, of this project is. Through that now, uh, a lot of people are able to access water, and uh, most importantly, uh, vegetative cover increased, which eventually helps in, in, in improving our climate. Yeah, I would like to add something to do with the, the planting of trees that we did as part of the project. 
We got support from uh, a factory called Tiamamol factory. That's a factory near, that is a, a factory for tea, a tea processing factory. They took part in supporting us in planting trees. They have a, a program called, uh, for reforestation. So they took part also in buying the seedlings that we had in our, um, in our nursery. And then they supported us. We go to various places, various in some places where there was uh, really uh, deforested, deforested. We went there, we plant some trees. Uh, approximately, we did like uh, 10,000 10, settlings. Eh? We planted more than 10,000 settlings in support from the Mamul factory. And also the place where we did the project for water, we have, const- we have uh, built that area, like we have uh, fence, planted a lot, of, a lot of trees there. So for now, there's a lot of trees we have grown up with that place. Other than, that, other than that place, we have the source, the source where we started irrigating the water. We have uh, built the spring box, the sump, you know. Yeah, so after we, we kind of had a, an overview of the, the project, um, we wanted to find out more about how they worked with the community and the, the, the strengths within the community um, to help realise this project. And so what we'll do now is, is share from Nicholas and Robbins, in their own words, um, how they worked with the community. The community has been part of us since the beginning of the project. We had several meetings with the people from the community. They've really supported us in plant- in also doing the plantation. We have had the community being part of us, contribute some contributing seedlings, some also uh, taking part in organ- uh, talking to factories so that they can be part of us in supporting tree planting. Yeah. Uh, supporting us in constructing fence for the uh, for some river sources where we have planted some trees. So the funding did not allocate anything for unskilled labor, and therefore every unskilled labor that was provided on the whole of that project was done by the community. So the community played uh, a, a major role in ensuring that uh, project kicked off, and then. It's the community that has also been kept uh, uh, protecting this project because uh, during this time, from all that, from the time we started and up to date, you know, because given that this is a community-based uh, a project that was deep done deep into the community, uh, at the beginning, uh, we, we, we did a, a study. We checked, uh, like we, we, we looked at the viability of that project and, uh, you know, we also wanted to get to understand if uh, the community takes it positively or not, because if they don't like it, then the chances of succeeding was very minimal. So we had several meetings and uh, we ensured the community owned this project. Since then, they've always ensured even the security for everything is done by the community. We never hired anybody to to, to secure like the, the, the pump and, and uh, the pipes that were, we brought there. So they've played a major role in ensuring this project kicked off and up to where it has reached, the community has been part and parcel of that. What I love in, in what Nicholas and Robin shared um, just then was about how active the community was. You know, it wasn't just, you know, turning up to a couple of meetings and let people get on with it. You know, that they really were 
contributing in terms of seedlings, you know, speaking with the factories, helping build fences, providing all the unskilled labor. Um, it wasn't, you know, through the program itself that was funded and, and also the security. So it sounds like there was some, some magic there and um, be quite interesting to hear, you know, what attracted people to this project. Mm, yeah. And that's, but well, in fact, we asked them next. Uh, like, like magic. <laughs> Kiptere, there's a, there's a center called Kiptere. And uh, the center, it has shops and uh, it has a market. And uh, it doesn't have piped water. And therefore, at the beginning, people used to, there used to be donkeys that go fetch water and uh, transport it to the center and it's uh, sold out to the restaurants and the cafeterias and the shops around it it looked really tedious and uh, also in terms of hygiene also handling water it, it it wasn't that attractive then that made us think of how to do a project uh, a proposal and uh, in the process we also consulted with the community and uh, we we seek the opinion whether they think something like that would be good we we identified a source of the spring water uh, that we protected and ensured a lot of water could be accessed by the community even if they go and collect it from the source where we protected uh, that alone attracted them and uh, i remember at the beginning there was a conflict between community and uh, us because somebody misled the community and told them we'll be taking away their water and they'll no longer be able to access water and we'll be sending that water then we because of that conflict we had a chance to meet with the community at the grassroots and we clarified uh how the project was to work and uh, after that we had a very smooth relationship that conflict was a good thing for us because without that we might have not established uh, a, a good working relationship with the community members it was really interesting hearing Robin speaking about that kind of really practical side to this project and what attracted people. So, you know, having spent a lot of time in Africa, the, the, the life of the market is almost the kind of cornerstone of many communities. Mm. And so that practical piece around having, um, you know, getting spring water um, from a protected source um, to come into the market, I can see how that would have been transformative. Um, and much more hygienic than what they were doing before using donkeys to transport the water. Um, it was interesting hearing about that kind of initial possibly distrust or mm. certainly lack of understanding between the project and the community to so the community thinking that the water was actually being taken away, but through meetings and through conversation and pushing through that initial tension, it's actually improved the working relationships. And I think that was a that was a really helpful lesson for me to hear. You know, actually, that beginning tension and difficult conversations doesn't mean that that a project is struggling. It's actually probably healthy, and it's sort of signs of growth and pushing through and mm. getting to a new place. Which reminds me of what I was saying earlier about my council work you know mm. and the kind of the need for relationships and connection and conversation to get to where you're trying to get to we then asked robbins and nicholas to think a bit about what they've learned from the natural world mm. in this project or other work that they've been doing 
We need to understand that nature is very unforgiving. And once it is exhausted, we'll just be making stories to our children and tell the, telling them that uh, once upon a time, uh, this place looked like this. And, and, and uh, it, it, it begins by appreciating the nature. And once we appreciate it, we know that we are, we are getting something good out of it. Then uh, it's important that we know what is our responsibility towards protection of nature. Uh, there are high chances that we are likely to, if we lose our uh, natural surroundings, then there's a likelihood of of conflict happening. Like now, conflict between animal human conflict. We are likely to have animals that now, for example, when 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 water points dry up, animals will be coming to the homes and houses to look for water, and when they come. Now that one will start having human animal conflict. Yeah, at the same time, uh, amount of rainfall will definitely reduce, drought will increase, and, and, and uh, uh, even the performance of the crops will be affected, and so many things get affected. So, nature is very unforgiving, but uh, we also need to understand that its existence is very important, and therefore, if we love it, we need to keep it and, uh, and, and, uh, will be able to, to reap the, the good out of it at the same time we'll be able to keep the surrounding and the environment for the generations that uh, will come after us yeah so hearing that back again i found what robin said really really powerful like we when we recorded this um it's the thing that stayed with me the most actually um that idea of nature being you know unforgiving and there's also a real sense of um, responsibility coupled with love, coupled with a desire for leaving a good legacy. And I think that those ideas are universal. You know, I think we can all understand and want those in our lives and wherever we live in the world. Um, so, yeah, it felt like a really realistic perspective, but one that also um, was very inspiring, actually. Yeah, yeah, the word unforgiving. I was, I was mm. when I first heard it, I was quite shocked, actually, because it's not, it's, you maybe hear it here and there, but but I feel like when we talk about nature, it's, you know, it's kind of wild and it's beautiful and, and all that good stuff, but there is that unforgiving piece you know and I think that really came through and I wonder if that's through that kind of a different kind of lived experience mm. there was something too about hearing well Nicholas and Robbins in the next question um when I asked them kind of how are these issues so you know access to water and deforestation and so on how is that affecting local farming well yeah let's hear what Nicholas and Robbins have to say on that mm. A place called Kipere where we do the project, people do depend on tea farming, and then some people depend on uh, maize plantation. Those areas really depend on rain. So if you don't have rain in that place, there will be no production of tea, no production of farm, like we talk of farm inputs to be in general, eh? like maize, beans, because people from that area are farmers. And then uh, some few depend on, uh, what do we say, uh, dairy farming, because the lands are more or small. So even in case you don't have rain in that place, we now talk of poverty, because everything they depend is rain. 
So nature in that place is very important. Having a lot of trees, having enough water, enough rain, I think something good for that place. Yeah, maybe just to just to just to add, I wanted to say that uh, an addition, uh, you know, deforestation leads to uh, leads to uh, 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 leads to drought, and it might also lead to uh, desert might grow to areas like uh, where the project was, and just like Nicholas mentioned, it, it the area is fully it's a, an agricultural area where people are fully dependent on uh, on 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 uh, rainwater as well as water for irrigation and for watering animals and therefore if uh, there is uh, deforestation that would mean uh, the the amount of rainfall received annually will reduce there will be no grass for uh, animals to graze uh, there will be no water for watering the tea uh, farms, and that means uh, productivity will go down. Uh, there will be no milk to for people to get or business. So in general, uh, business agribusiness will go down. Uh, harvest will go down. Generally, it's going to affect everything because all these things are interrelated and they are all dependent on 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 nature. And therefore, deforestation might lead to drought, and the drought would basically mean death of animals and people and so many things will get affected. So you find like nature plays a very a, a central role in ensuring that uh, every living thing is able to enjoy their life and uh, celebrate the fact that we have our surrounding that is properly kept. Yeah, so again, hearing that kind of that direct connection between not having um you know a healthy water source not having trees how that directly leads to poverty because farming is harder and selling things in the market therefore is harder and making an income um grazing animals all that becomes much harder um it felt really kind of tangible to me and i've se- i've seen that played out across you know different countries in africa it, it's it takes climate change kind of out of the mind, out of being a theoretical cerebral thing that we talk about into something that's lived, you know. And I think just hearing that perspective, I found really, you know, it's a reality check, isn't it? Yeah. And so we then moved on to to looking to the future and asked uh, Robbins and Nicholas what they feel is going to be important to help with this water situation, this tree situation, climate situation. And also what part the next generations and the youth can play. So we'll share this with you now. Everybody depends on water. And uh, that water is dependent on the trees. If uh, there's deforestation, then the trees will not, uh, I mean, there will be no enough water. But at the same time, there will be no, again, there will be no water for for those same trees to, to grow. And therefore... They are interconnected. So I, I feel water is at the center. This water uh, supports lives of, of, of people in schools and uh, at homes and uh, uh, for their animals, uh, as well as uh, for the supplies of that same water within the market uh, centers there. So uh, I would say 
water is the most important thing here. But uh, for us to continue enjoying this water, then we have, we have to also have a plan to keep on planting trees so that both the trees and, and human beings and, and, and animals are able to continue enjoying water. The afforestation and irrigation of water the farmers. Because some farmers depend on water for the animal, depend on water to irrigate their farms, depend on water for schools, because we have schools also, which is within that area, you know? And then that area also, the people might be like some distance to that water source, you know? So the schools might be, might be so many schools are having problems like going to the river, using tractors, you know, or using uh, donkeys, you know? And it's also very expensive for them. And also, tree um, uh, things to do with tree planting also is very important because it's also something we need to have because we need rain, you know? A lot of station also is very important. It would be really, really important that we find a way to keep on passing that information to our children and also practicing the same so that we take care of our environment because uh, as things go by, we are likely to kill the planet Earth in the next few years. We, we continue to use things like fossil fuel that are also polluting the environment. Uh, we continue to do practicing poor uh, disposal of waste and, 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 uh, and, and uh, uh, generally not being conscious of our surrounding and, 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 and uh, the environment. If the moment we are not conscious about the surrounding, we are trading in, in, in very bad grounds because a time will come when we can no longer breathe anymore. And uh, that time, that, that would mean there will be no life. And we, we, we will be to blame for not doing what should have been done at the earlier stage. It was interesting hearing that idea of things being interconnected, which I guess is something we can hear a lot in sort of different circles and different worlds, but that kind of interconnection between the forest, the water, mm. the, the community, the animals, the livelihood um, was really clear to me uh, and how central tree planting and therefore the community involvement in that tree planting mm. is in that kind of interconnected tapestry that they were painting a picture of. Mm. And yeah, just the, the role of future generations and finding a way to pass information on that feels you know, it's something we can take for granted, I guess. But actually, for some communities, access to information on how, how we do this kind of thing. How do we plant trees? What does it mean to, you know, wash away topsoil? What does it mean to not have water? That passing on information um, is feels like something really important that Nicholas and Robbins and their project mm. is doing. Yeah, and it feels like it's... Uh, definite show of the strength of the community but also the strength of Robbins and Nicholas in their own um, work and, and way they choose to live their lives um, there's a real passion there in both of them um, to to contribute to do good in the world to leave it a better place mm. um, and it reminds me of the quote um, the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago the second best time is now and I think they're really living that out and, and calling on us to do to do our bit too. Absolutely. Yeah. And on that note, um, 
we have put in the show notes details mm. of they don't have a website but they've got a facebook page for the project so we've put that there if people want to see a few photos and things and then we just came to a close and we asked nicholas and robbins if there's anything that they wanted to leave our listeners with and here's what they had to say something i can add to people is that people need to to understand that nature is unforgiving we need day in day out live to protect nature for us and for the old generation that is coming right behind us nature is unforgiving yeah thank you very much maybe just one addition elizabeth i would just like to say that uh, we should leave world a better place than we found it let us not come leave exhaust what we found and then when we go uh we leave it worse than we found it we should leave it better than we found it and therefore let us all work to improve it and one day we leave a legacy that the generations that will come after us will be able to learn about what we did during our life thank you it was wonderful to be in kenya it was really great to spend time with nicholas and robins and learn from them hear their their reflections and their experiences and it makes me think of a video um that's um features uh the voice of jane goodall the primatologist and conservationist uh which is called what happened when we all stopped and i'll put a link to it in the the show notes um but it's essentially a beautiful 3 minute video it ends with with these words and it reminds me of what we've just been talking about so it starts with as a whisper a word on the air it can't quite be heard but you know that it's there it then spoke like thunder until we all moved and we could and we did and it's done she's renewed and it makes me think about us all doing our parts and so far today we've looked at government we've looked at individual contribution through particularly in Elizabeth's case um we've looked at community level you know using strengths of the community and the brilliant work by Nicholas and Robbins and now we're going to get our wings back on our parachutes back on and fly to to London um and talk to Anna Westall about how businesses can use their strengths in tackling climate change let's go let's fly woo <laughs> So it's with great pleasure that we now land with Anna Westall, who's a friend of mine, who I've known for coming up to eight years, which I, I didn't realize it was that long. But I was looking back at our emails; <laughs> it's been that long. Um, I know Anna through her brother Rob, um, and we sadly did not cross paths in New York, but we've both lived in New York. Um, so that's how Anna and I came into each other's lives. Um, Anna, I think it's probably best if I let you introduce yourself about who you are. 
Thank you so much. Gosh, it's um, really hard to know what to, to touch on first. Um, I am the proud mom of um, a five and a half year old boy and an 18 month old girl, which um, has kept me um, very, very busy as I've been going on this uh, sort of professional transition since, you know, when we first met, um, I was exploring the nonprofit space, um, having recently left um, capital markets at Morgan Stanley. And um, through a couple of iterations, I have now landed the job of my dreams at a Danish company called Orsted, which is the world's largest producer of offshore wind power. Cool fact is that we actually own and operate uh, one in four of the world's um, offshore wind turbines. Um, so yeah, we're a massive force in what I see to be as one of the really important solutions in terms of the, the energy transition. Um, so I was really inspired to, to join Orsted um, as part of, as I mentioned, my own transition and trying to become part of the solution. I really woke up to the sustainability challenges that we face as a, as a global population when I had my son. And I think it had really started a couple of years before in my sort of move away from um, banking um, to nonprofit. I really wanted to find my way of making a positive impact. Mm -hmm. um, and I think it was yeah, having my son that really clarified my view on where it was that I should should focus my my energy. Mm. Thanks for sharing that because it's it's often it's easy to separate work from personal, but actually, I'm noticing perhaps as I'm a mum too. But actually, it's it, having children can be so motivating um, and give passion to people. So, as you know, this is a podcast um, that explores the power of the natural world to inform and inspire. And I just before we dive into the climate change piece, I'm just curious about how you've been inspired by the natural world in your life and all work. Yeah, I think um, I'm really lucky to have grown up in a fairly rural part of the UK. I'm originally from a small town in Oxfordshire. Um, it's very, um, yeah, very sort of un untouched. Um, there's a lot of you know, farming nearby, but you know, we have a, a river that runs at the bottom of my parents' garden. And I think uh, some of my earliest memories have been um, very nature-based in terms of you know, spending a lot of time outside as a child um, and certainly in terms of where it's led me to choose to live. Um, certainly, obviously, London is a big bustling city, but I think certainly comparing it to New York, it's very easy mm. to get to green space. Um, and so in terms of my connection to nature, I always make sure that I'm in touching distance of green space. Um, I think my, uh, my happy place um, has always actually been at the beach. And I don't know whether that's then informed my offshore wind um, career choice. Um, but mm. um, my mum is, uh, grew up in Western Australia. And so we've had the great uh, fortune to, to spend a lot of time there and um, some really beautiful um, untouched um, beaches that um, have some you know, really magical um, place in my heart. Um, and I think certainly um, in terms of the inspiration of nature, it's that we as humans, and I think anybody who's been trapped in a, in the, they call them the washing machine, if you go in to try and do a, a body surf on a wave and you get caught, mm. you know, full force by um, the power of the wind and uh, the water, sorry, and you, you can't, um, can't get out and you just feel just how, um, how small you are and how immovable mm. those, um, those forces are that that you're that you're fighting against, um, but also then that that can be harnessed for for good in terms of mm. obviously the, the the wind that um, 
that Orsted is capturing and, and turning into into energy. Um, so I guess lots of different touch points for uh, for nature mm. in in my life. Um, and I think again, looking at my New York experience, I think feeling far away from nature was a was a really mm. difficult part of of my life. Then um, certainly felt very very urban, mm. um, and it didn't it surprised me to find that um, London was therefore yeah, very comparatively green and a real welcome to you know to come back to. Mm. No, I definitely resonate with that. So it sounds like with nature, then it's it's both really appreciating that the energy and power it has, but also knowing our place within it. You know that actually we are just small people. And I'm curious then, as you then think about climate change, and you've slightly well, you know, alluded to it already in terms of becoming a mum. But I'm curious to learn a little bit more about your motivations for for working in climate action, um, and also what strengths you personally think you're bringing. Um, with your professional backgrounds, potentially, you know, you personally, um, just to give our listeners a bit more of an understanding. Yeah, sure. I mean, I guess I mentioned before that I was looking for some time on how it could be that I could use my energy and professional experience to to further the agenda. And and so taking a step back to where I am now, um, my previous experience was helping to raise a sustainable private equity fund. Mm-hmm. The idea being that we were going to be raising a fund to commercialize the solutions to climate change, looking at um, transport, food and energy. Um, and, you know, looking at really cutting edge solutions that weren't at commercial scale yet. Um, so looking um, you know, to the next generation um, of, of answers. Um, and there I was really leveraging the fact that um, in order to, to raise the funds, we were obviously going to be speaking to the large um, pension funds or your private mm-hmm. families. Um, so the idea was that I was going to be using my client facing experience from Goldman Sachs and Morgan mm-hmm. Stanley um, to help build the pitch, deliver it, mm. um, even just the simple, you know, booking of meetings and being able to actually win the opportunity with incredibly, um, you know, hard to reach people um, mm. was was the skill. Um, so there, I think it was using um, trading floor uh, experience in terms of uh, getting your point of view across um, and to people who were um you know, had short attention spans and lots of people you know, mm. competing for their attention um and then um that experience actually led quite neatly to my my Orsted role um in that um I'm not actually directly in a customer facing um role now um but I'm part of a team which is looking at creative ways to sell the wind power um as a um world we are moving away from um, wind assets being subsidized Mm -hmm. to um, them being able to um, stand on their own two feet and take on market risk and so Mm -hmm. I'm part of the group that is looking at ways to to sell that and obviously looking to the customer side and how we meet their challenges is going to be a key key understanding um, in terms of those those agreements that we that we create. I love that because Elizabeth and I often talk about um, bridging worlds, you know, and how often you, know, you have the environmentalists, the scientists, the business people, the government, and it all feels quite separate. And what I love is that you're bringing your private, you know, corporate experience into this, what can be seen as more of an environmental space, but actually really using those strengths that you've built over the years. 
Thank you. Yeah, I think it's it's really important to um, one of the points that I wanted to make in my previous introduction was that really and um, nature inspires me and in that you know not just the the energy you know every day you know begins again that's a fresh mm. um, you know clean slate um, but also the fact that nothing is linear and mm. in, when I look back at my career um, and the path that I've chosen um, it could look really scattered or you could just say actually you know, taking inspiration from someone like Steve Jobs, I have chosen a non-linear path, which to me makes perfect sense. I've been very um, measured and careful about each step that I've taken. Um, but um, I think we can you know, look to nature and just the process of evolution, um, mm. that nothing stands still and it's a constant process of reinvention, trial and error. It's okay to, to fail, just, yeah. you know, get back up again and, and try the next thing. I love that. So thinking about um, actually that reinvention piece actually perhaps feels quite nicely. I was really curious to hear about Orsted kind of moving from yeah. what was a black One energy company. energy companies out there to <laughs> the cleanest. Yeah. yeah really. Sorry, did you want to finish your question? No, well, it's, I guess, you know, it would be great to hear just in general where you see examples of positive impacts happening in the corporate world in terms of climate action um but yeah i think specifically i'd love to hear a bit more about that transition from black to green energy and what strengths yeah, it's truly amazing and i think that um we all of us <laughs> whether we are close to austin or not have um the fantastic former ceo who's a guy called henrik paulson to thank for his vision and foresight um in really seeing it through there was a real turning point um I think it was back in 2006 when um, Orsted wanted to build a brand new coal-fired power station in Germany. And it was the pushback um, on that which really set this train in motion. Um, and suddenly, I think everybody in the senior team, but mostly Henrik, realized that fossil fuels were not and are not the future. Um, and we had to look within ourselves um, at how it was that we were going to reinvent ourselves mm -hmm. um and at that time um the the danes and Orsted in particular had a real competitive advantage um in wind and mm -hmm. offshore wind in particular so that was then identified as the um the technology that we would focus on and become become the world leaders in so that's the very high level sort of mm -hmm. the vision mm -hmm. um but then looking more closely at what it took to get there and again moving back to this non-linear idea mm -hmm. um it certainly wasn't sort of you know looking at this end goal and knowing exactly what steps that you had to take um to, to get there it was definitely an iterative process uh, the first wind farm that they built offshore was a colossal expensive um learning <laughs> opportunity yeah. um and um these were not decisions that were obviously taken lightly given the fact that you know at the point that point only seven percent of the firm's profits were derived from from renewables and the idea was to completely flip that on its head and i'm happy to um, point out that it's you know 98 percent uh, uh fossil free uh, mm -hmm. renewable energy now um so it's obviously a, a massive transition in mindset for mm. every person in the company um so that would not have been uniformly um welcomed um mm. but it definitely is is something now that um 
I'm sure is you know, deeply embedded in the DNA and it's one of the huge um, advantages that we have in terms of um, not only our, our future business, but attracting and retaining the, the, the best, best people to be part of the company. Mm. There's a few really interesting kind of almost lessons or role modeling um, of what a company can do here. So I'm hearing you talked earlier about the creating cutting edge solutions at commercial scale. You talked about um, the vision and foresight of your former CEO. You talked about the iterative process that it's not linear, it's not clear. And I really resonate with that. And in fact, that term non-linear path or non-linear career, I think I'm going to take that one for myself because it feels really um, <laughs> resonant. I'm curious, what else, um, if you had a magic wand and you were thinking about the corporate world, what else would you like to see in terms of um, action on climate change and particularly kind of nature based or nature inspired solutions to some of the challenges that we're facing i think if i had a magic wand i would love for everybody to feel as impatient as i do about getting to the end result um i think that there is um definitely um this feeling and Certainly, it was something that I came across um, when I was doing research for my master's dissertation, um, that we have a lot of time, but I just don't feel that there is. And I think that um, a lot of um, corporates who are in a position to lead are waiting to do things at a pace that they feel would be driven, say, by their shareholders or their customers, instead of taking the opportunity to lead. It's that overused Henry Ford quote about, you know, before the motor car, what would people have wanted? Faster horses. When in actual fact, the answer was <laughs> to him then, hilariously, you know, the internal combustion engine. But we now know that that's, that's, that's not the answer. I think that um, there's definitely um, a reluctance amongst corporate leaders to make the difficult decisions that, as I've mentioned, Henrik was so um, brave in doing and in making a huge um, and, and risky commitment. Um, but I think it comes from a, um, a feeling that we have time and that maybe other people will, will lead the way when in actual fact it's, it's really up to all of us to mm. act with huge mm. urgency. Mm, and that connects into you were talking about the importance of the transition in mindset and that this being something that embeds into all of our DNA, whether you're the CEO, whether you're an employee. Do you have any thoughts about, because that mindset piece and changing mindset can be so difficult, um, as well as the impatience that you've talked about. Is there anything else in terms of um, helping ourselves, each other, our leaders to transition in mindset as well as actions? Gosh, that's a really interesting one. It's one that I've been thinking about, given that we obviously have such a divided cultural and political discourse um, globally, in terms of changing mindsets. I guess to my point about the, the leadership example, it feels almost as if um, we can't necessarily change people's minds with facts. Um, we have to be offering choices we don't really have time to bring everybody with us um you know to my point about the um 
you know, the learning experiences along the way, I'm sure there are going to be some very imperfect solutions from a lot of people's perspectives. But I think we just have to keep an eye on the end goal and mm. do things in the fairest way possible um, and, and think yeah. um, in a much more collective way about responsibility and, and aims. Yeah, it reminds me of our earlier conversation um, with mm. Nicholas and Robbins in Kenya and how, you know, they are doing work out there specifically related to climate mm. change because it has to happen, you know, um, whereas mm. it can feel a little bit distant, I think, here, at least mm. in, in Britain still. Um, so that kind of need for leadership and being pioneering is a kind of stronger, you know, because it, it can feel a bit factual, can't it? Definitely. I think the media has a huge role to play in changing that distance narrative mm. um, because all the reporting is about how, um, you know, we see wildfires in California or in Australia and they do feel very far away. But mm. I was listening to um, Isabella Tree mm. speak about how um, actually when you look at um, global warming and its impact on uh, animal habitats, um, they're moving five kilometers a year mm-hmm. five kilometers a year mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a huge yeah. physical ad- and when you put that on a on a human scale mm-hmm. um that actually sudden, suddenly makes things a lot more more immediate when you think actually by the time things get to us it will it will be too late um mm-hmm. but it is already mm-hmm. affecting us five mm-hmm. kilometers every year yeah so i'm curious i guess anna in terms of it might be with your corporate hat on, or it might just be more general recommendations that you have, but what would you like to leave our listeners with? And it could be recommendations of things to read or watch or see, or it might just be thoughts that you have to ponder. Um, Gosh, it's, um, it's really difficult um, because I think that the balance between what you can do on a personal level in your own life versus what you can do in um, a sort of lobbying or influencing sphere is, is a really difficult, difficult balance. Mm. Um, I guess you have to think about scale and pace and what would you know, be the best um, avenue for your efforts. The, you know, the, the corporate world has done a great um, job of, of making us all feel very personally responsible for um, you know, rinsing out our recycling and mm. and sorting everything very carefully. When in actual fact, it's it should be about um, you know changing your car and mm. and um, mm. making sure that we vote in a way that reflects the, the urgency of the, of the you know the climate crisis. Um, or that actually the best thing we can do is really look at our pensions because in actual fact, everything that you do on a personal level um, is is very small compared to the the power of your of your um, pension and where it sits mm. and what it what it fuels and even just at our high street banking level um one report which um <laughs> i've been too scared to update myself on recently but there's an amazing organization called the rainforest action network and they publish a report about the most extreme fossil fuel exploration and extraction funded 
by in extension by um, by our pensions and the high street banks that we all mm-hmm. see these uh, you know, friendly names that we all, all recognize. Um, and that's pretty horrifying because a lot of these institutions are coming out with some fantastic um, announcements um, with regards their their future promises. Um, and what's really disheartening is the fact that these would look great on the surface, but in actual fact, their, their corporate lending doesn't always match up. And in many cases, it's many orders of magnitude um, in the other direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's that's certainly something to, to keep aware mm-hmm. of. Um, Share Action is also a fantastic organization which um, looks into that in, in detail. Carbon Tracker Initiative is a really fantastic um, resource talking about stranded assets. And they were the ones who originally coined the term. And if we want to stay um, below one and a half degrees, we're not able to burn even a twelfth of the fuel that we have above ground already. And Mm -hmm. then look at the, again, the exploration and extraction that is still going on using our pension assets. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's it's pretty terrifying to realise that we, you know, all of us under 40 are probably fully invested in um, sectors which will be considerably, in my view, unless they change radically, um, worth a, you know, a great deal less mm. um, going forward. So I think we all need to be very conscious um, of of where our pensions are, which is, is a difficult thing and, and not be too distracted by, you know, whether whether we're vegetarian or, you know, how many days we're vegan, um, switching off the lights, all of those things are truly fantastic. But um, where our pensions sit is probably the most mm. powerful thing we can mm. control. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Because I remember actually a few years ago, you were kind of organising meetings with with friends about this, you know, like how yes. do you, where, where to invest and things like that. And so there, there is that grassroots element, you know, it's about informing ourselves and it's, it can be quite intimidating, can't it? Like looking at your pension funds, like, oh God, what's it? Where is that? What, what is yeah. it? But it <laughs> Where's my password? <laughs> <laughs> Where's my password? <laughs> exactly. But maybe it is, it is like coming together as little groups, you know, to make it less intimidating to, to learn. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. And a shout out actually to, um, there's a lady named um, Olga Miller um, of Smart Purse, who's actually, she um, she's spearheading a, an initiative aimed specifically at women in order to really enable people to to have these conversations and mm-hmm. to feel equipped. And, and to your point, I totally agree that it is intimidating and nobody wants to think about their pension because that's something that you are going to look at when you're old and no one wants to think mm-hmm. about being old. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's always more sort of immediate things to think about. But um, really, it, it is probably the most powerful tool at your disposal. Mm. Interesting. Brilliant. Thank you. Anna, thank you very much for spending this time with us and being one of our pioneering guides. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been brilliant to hear yeah, about your strengths, you know, which clearly shine through both professionally mm. and personally, but also, you know, your reflections mm. about the corporate landscape, you know, some of your own experiences. Um, and to give some really practical takeaways actually for us to to look at. Oh, thank you. You're so, so welcome. It's been a real honour to be included in this conversation. And I feel like we could have <laughs> talked for so much longer. So thank you. It's been Brilliant. really fun. Thank you. Brilliant. Thanks. Oh, 
Oh, so that was so nice to stop off with Anna, who's actually only a, a mile down the road from me. Um, oh, interesting. So uh, it wasn't such a long parachute this time. But... Mm, less tired wings and from flying to Kenya. Yes, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But it was, yeah it was... Tell me what you enjoyed. I just, I found it really refreshing. I loved her kind of authenticity and honesty. Um, I love that. I love that she shared her impatience with some of this stuff. Um, you know, getting to the end result, we it needed to have happened yesterday and we don't have time. I think that came through really strongly, but equally her real kind of, you could you could hear it in her voice the kind of um pleasure she, pleasure she's now taking in being in this world in this mm. world of energy and 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 creating solutions at scale like she talked about um and i think that really came through and she gave some really clear examples of how organizations can role model this stuff whether it's in leadership whether it's mm. in um just trying stuff and going down that non-linear pathway i think that was really helpful and her yeah her just kind of authenticity and and um starting from where she was so she mm. used the skills she had from the banking world mm-hmm. um, and she's saying how can I use them in in this world that I really choose to be in mm. so whether that's the public facing skills or the sort of behind scenes skills so I love that she was blooming where she's planted she's using <laughs> the skills yeah. she's got on the way what did you take from that cat yeah I love the, the non-linear piece as well because she's role modeling it herself personally um, in terms of strengths and experience, but also, as you say, kind of that story of how Orsted moved from black energy to green energy, mm. um, and and that moment of that that choice and leadership to to change and that journey, um, yeah, felt really inspiring. In that, it can be intimidating when we think about well, how are we going to make a difference? But actually, it is that nonlinear, imperfect space that actually mm. can create brilliant things um so I really appreciate that I I really obviously I and as a friend of mine um but I, I love her passion she's always been passionate and I mm. yeah I just love seeing her now in this space where she can really provide great solutions and, and being creative and inventive so mm. I'm excited to see what she creates going forward yeah yeah and I think hearing from Anna she, you know, she was so different to the other kind of guides in this episode. Mm. And, and yet I, I love the way that they've sort of spoken to each other. Mm. So some of the things that have come up for me in, in all of the guides, myself included. Um, it, well, it's what I was just saying is that starting from where you are. So, you know, you might want to do all these things, but actually there's three things that you can do right now or that you have the capacity or skills to do right now. So that idea of starting from where you are whether that's out of necessity, like the guys in Kenya, or whether that's out of passion or both uh, mm-hmm. or something else. There was also something about curiosity and just authenticity as well in, in the guide. You know, it can be so easy, I think, particularly in climate change to think, oh, I should be doing it this way. There's something about what do you feel able to and called to do? Where is your mm-hmm. curiosity pointing you? Where is your passion pointing you? How are you being authentic mm-hmm. in your response to this? Um, and that I think was there in different ways in in all of the in all of the guides. Yeah, what have you noticed in kind of joining together? Yeah, I, well, actually, speaking of joining together, I've got a, a, a quote from Chief Seattle um, mm. that humankind has not woven the web of life; we are but one thread within it. Whatever we do to the web, we do to ourselves. All mm. things are bound together. All things connect. Mm-hmm. So yes, while that can point to how we can be destructive it also points to how we can have great impact on the world Mm -hmm. and and coming together from different 
sectors, countries, backgrounds, and it's all really valuable. And I think the other thing that that comes to mind is um, what Robbins and Nicholas were talking about in terms of love and responsibility. That feels really important to me. So that love of nature, that love of our future generations, love for our communities, um, but also that sense of responsibility and mm-hmm. and holding that and being able to look back in our lives and being like, well, actually, I left this place a better place. Mm. Yeah, and, and just turning as well to that bigger kind of lens of the natural world in this, there is a couple mm. of other things that came up for me. One, and it came up, I think, um, I think in different ways with everyone, but the idea of evolution and, um, you know, strengths are, evolution is a process of selecting strengths and, and pushing them mm. forward into future iterations. And Anna mentioned that, you know, change is an iterative process it's not a clear journey you don't necessarily know what the end point is mm. but you follow that non-linear path and mm. you see what, what's in your power to do until you get there um so I think there's something around that which links to kind of trial and error you know just giving things a go see using the strengths seeing what things stick and what things fall away and kind of mm. pushing forward um there so yeah that iterative keeping on keeping on I guess nature is innately curious in that sense you know mm. it, it's trying things out it's trying things out and it's you know the things that succeed the, the things the strengths they persist so I'm kind of it's it's mm. interesting to see how that's played out with with our guides mm. it'll be interesting to see how they evolve we evolve as a world um, mm. yeah mm. So yeah, just I guess as we end up I am thinking about my own strengths and and one of them is in coaching and I'd love to offer anyone that's listening to this um, who's curious to um, have a bit of space to think about your relationship with climate change um, and how you may want to find some agency to get into action Um, happy to to do a one-hour coaching session with you Um, I wouldn't ask for any payment myself and it's not any it's not looking to upsell at all Um, I would ask that you give uh, a donation to uh, either a climate change charity or a conservation charity, whatever amount you want to. Um, but beyond that, uh, yeah, I just feel called to to offer that. So if that's of interest, uh, find me on LinkedIn. Um, I think I'm the only Katrina Horry. Brilliant. Generous. Thanks. Lovely. Great. So there's been quite a lot of stuff that's come up in this episode. Anna offered a few things that we'll put in the show notes that you can go and have a look at if you want to. Um, and similarly, Robbins and Nicholas in Kenya and their project, they have a Facebook page if you want to check that out, have a look in the show notes. We'd also encourage you, if you want to think more about this topic or any of the topics that come up in Unfurling, you can join our private Facebook group. So just go to Facebook and search for Unfurling Podcast. And just click to join the group and we can let you into that. So that's a place to share ideas, resources, questions. Um, It's a small but growing group, but you'd be very welcome there. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, yeah, we just really encourage you to to go away, have a think about this stuff, get in touch with us on the Facebook group. Or um, we also have an email address that you are welcome to get in touch with, which is, I think, unfurlingpodcast at (laughs) gmail.com. It is. Yes, it's not used very much at the moment. I think we've sent about two emails so far. (laughs) Well, okay. Well, there we go. Unfurlingpodcast at gmail.com. You're very welcome to get in touch, share thoughts. Um, But I think that's it for this episode, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I feel it's been a very full episode. Um, Mm. 
And I guess, yeah, just go and enjoy nature as well. You know, there's yes. a lot, a lot to think about and digest. Um, yep. But uh, that joy and love piece feels really important to me too. Mm, yeah, joy and love. Absolutely. Mm. <laughs> well, thanks so much, everyone, for listening to Unfurling. It's a podcast that explores the power of the natural world to inform and inspire. And we look forward to seeing you again soon. Bye. Bye-bye.